Welcome to Words That Move Me, the podcast where movers and shakers like you get the information and inspiration you need to navigate your creative career with clarity and confidence. I am your host, Dana Wilson, and I move people. I am all about the tools and techniques that empower tomorrow's leaders to make the work of their dreams and live a full life while doing it. So whether you're new to the game or transitioning to your next echelon of greatness, you're in the right place. Hello, hello, my funky friend. How are you? Man, today, I think more than usual, I really wish you could talk back to me. I'm asking, how are you? And I genuinely want to hear a response. Um, perhaps that is due to the fact that I just got back from some travels. And it might just be me, but man, airplanes make me emotional. Does anyone else get like totally raw on an airplane? Not uncommon to find me weeping with my, you know, headphones on, on the airplane looking out a window. Anyways, maybe that is podcast fodder for another time. Uh, today's episode is a doozy because our guest today is absolutely legendary. Julie McDonald may be best known for being the first dance agent, aka the first talent agent to offer commercial representation for dancers, but y'all, she is so much more than that. She is a pioneer in many ways, she is an advocate, she is a boss, and she is also a riot. I loved having this conversation with her. You're going to love it too. But first, let's do some wins. I am finally, after weeks of anticipation, celebrating the release of Hosier's music video for All Things End, choreographed by the one and only Jillian Myers, who was assisted by our dear friend Damian Gomez. Um, the video is directed by Jared Asher Harris, and it is starring yours truly, along with Allison Van, Sasha Rivero, Antavius Ellison, and Chris McCartan, some lovely dancelings. And, uh, oh, of course, Andrew Hosier-Byrne is in there as well, lying lifeless for the most part on a surgical table. Wowza, y'all, this one ripped me wide open. Um, yeah, it is possible that he has written the greatest song about loss, maybe of all time, um, certainly that I have ever heard. Wow, uh, I think I'm a lucky lady too, because this is my second time working on a Hosier Myers collaboration, and I could not be more proud. I'll link to both videos, the video for All Things End and the video for Work Song, which is uh, the first one Julie choreographed for him about eight years ago, which I just rewatched recently, by the way. Holy hell. It is simply stunning. Hats off, Isaac Ravishankara, the director of Work Song. Um, and of course, Julie, I think all 87 million people who have watched that video would agree with me. It is simply stunning. I am without words. Anyways, this is a celebration of great work and great people caring for each other. Uh, but it is also a celebration of work that invites people to process loss. Whoa, heavy duty. Um, All Things End has a particular relevance to me in my life right now. And I've heard so many beautiful and very personal stories shared by fans and people who have enjoyed the video. It's a wonderful example of art bringing people together and encouraging healing. And I love that. Um, yes, encouraging healing, encouraging humanness and 
also encouraging the idea that all things really do indeed end. Um, and on that slightly somber note, I'll throw it to you <laughs> to share your win uh, so that we can start this episode. Let's go. Tell me, friend, what is going well in your world? Okay, congratulations. I am proud of you. Keep crushing. And let's get into it. In this episode, Julie McDonald and I talk about how she discovered her uh, family tree of show business and how she became the first dance agent and co-founder of MSA Agency way back in 1985. We talk about her thoughts on our business, um, going from dancers as extras to this historic membership launch of the Choreographers Guild, and we talk future focus as well. This conversation is so important. We've all got a lot to learn from Julie because she has experienced lots of rejection, and she knows how to endure it until there is acceptance. She understands that people are generally threatened by new things and that new things eventually become the norm. So much gold in here, my friend. I hope you enjoy mining it. Enjoy the one and only Julie McDonald. Julie McDonald, welcome to the podcast. I can't believe this is happening. I'm honored. I'm so excited and slightly nervous. Oh, Dana Wilson, thank you so much <laughs> for inviting me. I'm, I, I'm nervous. I'm the one who has to answer the questions. Well, that's true. I, that is true. You Feel free to ask me some. I'm happy to share that load. Um, I, mostly, though, I'm really excited to have a conversation. I know that you have probably more stories than anybody in the business. I love a good story time. Um, of course, I want to talk about the evolution of dance and choreography as a, in, in terms of a business. But before we get into all the nuts and bolts, this is the hard slash fun part. I guess that's up to you, question mark. I'm going to yield the floor and ask you to introduce yourself to everyone listening. What do you want us to know about you? Well, hello, everybody. This is Julie McDonald here. I am co-owner of McDonald's Selznick Associates, a talent agency specializing in the representation of dancers, of choreographers, of stage directors, and most recently, we represent um, below-the-line talents such as lighting designers, production designers, costume designers, glam squad, uh, oh. stylists, Etc. And we also just took on a new department where we're representing actors, actors for film and television. So we I didn't know that, Julie. Going big. We took advantage during the pandemic um, when we received some government funding, like everybody else, I think, who applied to mm -hmm. grow our business during that time. Well, not during COVID, but post the pandemic. Mm -hmm. We took advantage and we decided to grow and bring on Brooklyn Lavin for all of the below the line talent and a, a gentleman named Matt Jackson for theatrical. And so it's been a challenging and exciting development that we hope is really going to pay off someday. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have so much experience of like what happens when you jump or you just 
hit go or you pick up the phone and press dial. You have so much experience with that moment, the decision-making moment. And let's just segue right into it then because you also, this was not a part of your introduction, but I know this about you, so I'm going to say it, are a dancer first. You yes. danced in the industry and that was your job, but I believe it was an injury that took you out and kind of maybe helped encourage you towards the business side of things. That's true. I was a trained ballet dancer up in Bellevue, Washington, moved to Los Angeles when I was 15 and started taking more modern dance and character work. And I actually didn't work in the industry that much. I was in modern dance companies. So my background is really like in gram technique and ballet and and other uh kinds of contemporary dance. I didn't work in the industry too much. Um, when I segued from dancing, uh, well, for professional work, I founded a dance studio. That was probably one of the most exciting periods of my life. A dance studio with two other women and in Venice at the original Venice post office. And the place was called Room to Move. And it was an unbelievable time and place. You know, prior to that, you either had to go to a dance studio where non-dancer, if you were a non-dancer, you'd be intimidated or to a sweaty gym. So what we decided to do was open up a place made for non-dancers as well as dancers, a place where people could feel comfortable or in a safe place. That word wasn't even in the lexicon then, but it turned out to be such a fun and fabulous place. I mean, when I tell you that like Jane Fonda came and took class there, she was inspired by what what we did before she started her physical fitness uh, classes. I mean, it was amazing. And I met a lot of the people that I started representing there. Billy Goodson uh, taught for us, uh, Miranda Garrison, um, Russell Clark, and and it was and I am still friends with all of the teachers that taught there. We created a class called Movement Technique, and what it was was a blend of dance, exercise, and yoga. And every teacher had to incorporate those three elements, but teach it in their own way. And 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 Julie. It was amazing. No, it was my other life that was, to me, just like as exciting as the second part of my life. But Right. It sounds so far ahead of its time, like Dance for All People, studios that are that aim to be um, welcoming and inclusive to all levels and all ages, all backgrounds, is very much the moment right now. And this kind of cross-training idea, a holistic approach to movement versus hot eight counts, but like simply relating to your body through breath. Yeah. So you were ahead of that curve as well. But tell me about what it was that made you decide to become an agent. Because I mean, in in 1985, you became an agent. Right. right. And that's kind of, I, th- I, stop me if I'm wrong, I think, but like Thriller came out in 86. So this is like even before music videos were getting really big, dancers working in the industry were still considered extras at that time. And so did you just see a void and say, I'm going to fill that void? What what was the moment? I didn't really. First of all, it was at a time where music videos were really becoming the rage. It was sort okay. of like the rebirth of the musical in a, like, the you know, a mini musical, you know, in three minutes. Mm. 
-hmm. No, I didn't really see, I didn't know what I was doing. Honestly, I had a terrible knee injury. I was getting older and I was really lost. I mean, I did not know what to do. Honestly, I was scared. I was lost. I had had gotten divorced and I was, I mean, my personal life was kind of a mess. And um, I had to figure out what I wanted to do with my life and how I was going to make a living. We closed our dance studio in 1982. So I had like two years of teaching various studios and things like that, which I loved. I really mm-hmm. loved teaching, which, by the way, I was a terrible teacher when I started out, but I became a decent one. It took me some time before I found that that I actually loved it and had a following and blah, blah, blah. But then I had this injury and I was working professionally, was on a television commercial. And my knee just completely went out. And to make a long story short, I had heard about this uh, seminar called Impact. And I mention them every time this question is asked for me because I have to give them all the credit. So it was for design, a three-week seminar designed for people who wanted to be in the entertainment business, but they didn't quite know what they wanted to do. I really Mm -hmm. didn't know that much. So I had three ideas. One was to be a casting director for dancers or a manager for dancers, or an agent for dancers. So what the seminar was from 5 a.m. till 8 a.m. every day, and they locked you out if you were a minute late. It was serious. They were like only wanted people who were committed, even if they didn't know what they were committing to. So, And because it ended at 8, what you had to do was spend the rest of your day trying to get your goal. The first week was defining your goal, and that's when... I decided, well, being an agent would be the best thing. Mm-hmm. And so the next two weeks, after these three-hour group sessions where, you know, people spoke about what they were doing, there was a lot of group support, et cetera, but the rest of the day was spent in getting your goal. So I just kept going to all these different talent agencies, and they all said the same thing to me because music videos were really hot then, or starting to be. They all said... I said, well, I want to start a dance department there. And they go, yeah, okay, we'll give you a desk and a phone and and take 50% of everything that you make. And I was like, I want someone to pay me. Uh Uh I never got an offer. Every agency, the same thing. So finally, someone in my seminar, her name was Terry Hanauer, said, I'm going to introduce you to my agent. And she took me up to JHR, which was like one of the top commercial agents agencies in the business then. Mm-hmm. And I met Sandy Joseph and her partner, Brian Ricks. And they said, sure, we'll give you a desk and a phone <laughs> and Classic. 50% of everything you make. So I said, okay. And so I showed up for work, I think like two weeks later and I showed up and they went, oh, you're here. Where are we going to put her? Oh no. So they gave me a teeny weeny little desk and put me in a corner in the kids department along with also, yeah, the theatrical agent was in the same office. I don't know what the hell I was doing, but I spent two days with the commercial agents in their office listening. And I said, I know how to do this. I can do this. This is, I just, and I didn't even realize at at the time that I actually had two uncles that had been agents at William Morris in New York. I didn't even know that about them. <laughs> this was destined. This was meant to be for you. It was in my blood somehow. My father had been a, a press agent, as they called them in those days, for uh, 
Columbia and Fox. So anyway, I came from sort of a show business family, but I never really, you know, thought about it until I. Oh my God. So I, I know how this first year went for you because this is kind of legendary. So you, you start, it's a Cinderella story, basically. You start in the corner and nobody puts baby in the corner. In the first year, you had 300 dancers show up to your dancer agency yeah, audition. Yeah, it was an amazing audition with um, uh, Russell Clark doing jazz and Gene Castle doing tap. He had to tap those days. And then um, and uh, Michelle Zeitlin doing ballet. I put a teeny weeny little ad in the trades because there was no social media, no phone, nothing. And 300 yeah. people showed up and I probably signed all of them because they were really good. Yeah. And that's how I started. And, and tell us, tell us how much money you made in your first year. Well, the, it's unbelievable, but it grossed. I didn't make this much money. Right, right, right. The, well, the dance department, we'll call it. The, the, the inaugural dance department made. Grossed a million dollars. I mean. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't like all of a sudden every choreographer was calling me up. I had to knock on a lot of doors and some people were way more receptive than others. I mean, hi, next time you have an audition, I'm representing dancers now, but it was such a, a divergence from the normal way of hiring dancers that most people were, you know, people are generally threatened by new things. It's just the way <laughs> life is. Some people were super, super nice about it, and some people were just not. I was doing this a little bit from my bedroom before I got into an agency, like just a, a little bit. I was like, I don't know how I the projects were coming to me, but I remember booking, nobody will remember these people, Sharon and Karen Owens, these twins on some stuff. We're going we're gonna to put all these names in the show notes. I will do my best to link and do as much research as I can. So everybody listening, you can put your pen and paper down. I'll, I'll link in the show notes. They were these twins. And I mean, that was one thing I remember. Was work. Sarah Elgart was a teacher at my studio and she was doing a ton of videos with the director, David Hoberman, I think. So I was just doing a little bit dilly-dallying here and there, you know, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I was just faking it. And then home office before a home office was. It wasn't even a home office. It was a thing. It was a phone. It didn't. It was just, it was just a telephone and like whatever. You sitting on your bed. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. I can see the bed right now as we speak. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I don't. I don't need to talk about this too long, but I do think that the beginning was pretty fascinating. It was a, you know, timing has a lot to do with everything in life, right? So Mm -hmm. the time was right. And after just knocking on so many doors, I wasn't really even representing choreographers then. I, I just started out with dancers and going to all of the choreographers and seeing if they would call me. And so nobody was that interested. But finally, it was Greg Smith, Kenny Ortega's casting director, who said, okay, I'm casting for physical Olivia Newton-John video. Why don't you send me dancers? So, boy, you know. So I did, and I I don't remember details, but some of them booked, and he was really impressed with the caliber of talent. I do know dancers. Yes, you do. Being one yourself, you can feel the sense of your own type, right? And when I talk to you, when I hear you speak, I'm like, that is a person who gets it. I I think it's generally the case. Many 
dare I say, most dance agents and choreography agents in LA at least have been dancers. And there's, it's, it just kind of comes down to understanding what you are, not to make this really gross, but understanding what you're selling, like understanding the features of the thing that you are presenting to other people well, and you understand it so go well. Into this. I mean, it's like when I went to interview with this one agent, Nina Blanchard, she was a big modeling agency and my roommate was a model. And mm -hmm. I went into interview with her and she goes like this, she's chain smoke. She goes, you'll never make a red nickel on dancers. Wow. So, well, I guess models, so, but anyway, day rate is a lot higher, but you've but, shown her, huh? Well, <laughs> she wasn't interested. So right. put it that way. But, but the thing about it was, was it, it, there was a lot of rejection until there right. was acceptance. And then, then the also the story of a dancer, right? Yeah. Yes, for sure. So how, so you, you, some magically cleaned up your professional life because your personal life was a mess. But how did you go from working at this other agency and having all the success there to deciding I need to do my own thing? MSA starts in the year 2000. How, how did that decision come about? Well, Tony Selznick, who I had met at, when he was 14, he came to my dance studio in Venice. <laughs> Look at how things get tied yeah, together. Yeah. Look at that. So he started to work as my assistant at KSA. JHR became KSA, but it was okay, the same okay. people. And he was my assistant. He is very ambitious. And I always felt like I'm too busy to think, how am I going to go out on my own? I'm just too busy. I don't know how to do it, you know? Um, but he's the one. He said, let's become partners and go out on our own. So that's what happened. Oh, and I love it. So we did that. Yeah. Okay, I'm curious. So that was in 2000. It's now 2002. What is it? What is it right now? 2023. I'm so curious of all the different types of work. Like right now we have new media. Now we have streaming content. Now we have uh, music videos were there when you began, but they're very different now than they were then. No longer, you know, three minute movies or and massive budgets. They're tiny little budgets and everybody's doing them. I'm wondering over the course of your time, you know, from 2000 till now, what would you say is the highest earning medium? Where do, where do dancers make the most money? They make the most money if they're lucky to book a music tour with a major artist, who, if they're out on the road for a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I would say if they book a feature film, a union feature film that, mm -hmm. is, that employs them for a long time that's probably the best the, the best job to get because of those benefits. residuals are real the royalty the residuals and the benefits yeah. so doing a sag feature film or a sag long time uh television show now if there's for example marvelous mrs Maisel would be a good example of of a show that continually employed dancers you know mm -hmm. if you are working under a union contract for a long period of time, that's the best job. Yeah. But it seems to me that when we talk to dancers, the job that they want more than anything is to be a backup. To, uh, uh, I won't say use the word backup, but to be a dancer on a tour. In a music video. <laughs> on a tour. On a tour oh, yeah. with a major artist. I mean, that is the dream job because, A, you uh, most of them or a lot of them pay very decently. 
B, you get to see the world. And if yes. you're a major artist, you're seeing the world, you know, first class. So it's quite- Or close to it. Close yeah. to it. Exactly. Yeah. And the major, I mean, if you're a young dancer and you happen to book a tour like that, then you get completely spoiled and think- <laughs> rest of your career is going to go. <laughs> I was just going to say it. <laughs> I, I, in some ways, I was one of those. Although I moved to LA wanting to be in music video. Like that's where my bar was set. Well, that's where everybody like, was, Dana. Oh my everybody God, TRL, was, MTV. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Um, and then that was simply because I didn't know how much else existed. I did know that tours existed. I mean, as a like junior and senior in high school, Britney was touring I mean, I knew I knew that tours were a thing, but I I don't think I ever aspired like or thought that that could be real for me. And then after moving to LA, and, and one year of that rejection phase that you talked about, zero gigs, zero paid dance gigs for a calendar year. Like, thankfully, I was working also retail at Urban Outfitters. Super shout out Burbank branch, um, not my favorite, <laughs> but helped me you know, sustain. I got into a car accident that year. I had to buy a new car, the emergency stuff that shows up. Like I moved to LA with, with a lot more money than I think most people do. I had saved up while I lived at home in like my junior and senior year of high school, worked three jobs, worked at Urban, was a nanny after school and taught at my dance studio, choreographed solos, clean solos, did all, all the things. And I had raised $10,000 before I moved to LA. And Julie, after that calendar year, I was in the triple digits. I was like 900 bucks in my bank account, something like that. After the car, after a couple bad apartment deals and um, just the, the cost of life and buying a lot of dance class and yoga class and clothes, like trying to find myself and expensive yeah. haircuts and, you know, subscribing to all of the LA thing. And I just, at after that one year mark, Marty got a call. It was a, it was a, fairy tale moment, got a call from JT who says, are you ready to go? Like, I'm doing it again. This is after Justified. So this was his Future Sex Love Show tour. And I was sitting next to Marty assisting him on, on a project. And he looked at me and he was like, are you ready? And I was like, for what? And he's like, tour. And I was like, <gasps> you know, every muscle in my body seizes up and like, I for fight back the tears because I want to look cool. And that is how that happened for me. And it happened in a crazy way. Because my first tour, I also assisted. So I got to see the creative side of it as well, the building of the show, as well as the, you know, the the performance element, but also the, like the glorified part. The building of the show is something that very few people know how that actually works. Very few people get to see it. We see dancers on tour. We see their life on a tour bus. We know what fancy hotels are. We know what airplanes are. Like we understand the concept of tour on the outside. But I got, to be in the belly of the beast and then on probably the biggest world tour at that time, I'm guessing we did more than a hundred shows of future sex and more than 150 for 2020. Um, fun plug, the dancers for the 2020 experience. And I negotiated a touring agreement, a SAG after a touring agreement for the 2020 experience. So we set precedent for actual SAG after contributions to be received while on the road, which I did not know on my first tour. I was an after member because this was 2007 before the merge. I paid my dues. I went off on tour, stopped paying my dues, 
and got home and found out my membership had lapsed and I had to rejoin and I was pissed because by the time I was back and done with another long-term gig, a Cirque gig, I think the merge had happened and the join, the initiation fee was high and I was mad. Yeah. So I went in, this is a big part of my like advocacy story. I went into SAG-AFTRA with a huge chip on my shoulder expecting to choose somebody out. And what wound up happening is I fell in love with everybody there and I found out that they're doing their best. They don't know what a lot of the issues are. They don't understand dancers specifically because there are so few dance representatives there. And I, I just, I started falling in love with being an advocate for dancers and choreographers. That's really how that started for me. So tour and my, <laughs> and my lack of paying attention to my other types of work, all of my TV film types of work kind of played a big part in that for me. Hey, my friend, jumping out here for a quick hot second to tell you that our friend Tuggy Barcelo previous podcast guest and world-renowned movement coach, choreographer, and certified breathwork coach, whose clients include Alicia Keys, Dua Lipa, Tovlo, and Miguel, just to name a few. Yes, that Tuggy is launching an app full of curated guided meditations, science-supported breathing exercises, and Tuggy's signature expert embodiment guidance. All of this to help you become the best version of you and wiggle into your bliss. So if you are a person who is dealing with stress, anxiety, insomnia, fatigue, ADHD, chronic pain, and the likes, the Tuggy app is for you. It is an affordable pathway to healing. It is so fantastic. Pretty please check it out. I've been using it for weeks now. I really, really enjoy the interface. It is user-friendly. It is so easy to navigate. The content is fantastic. So please check our show notes for a link or search your app store for the Tuggy app. T-O-O-G-I-E, wherever you get your apps. I've been using it and digging it and I cannot wait to see you there. Which brings us to today in the Choreographers Guild. What's your temperature on that? How do you feel about the way choreographers are organizing right now? I feel really good about it. I'm not in the trenches with you all, so I don't really can't speak to exactly what's going on or how it's unfolding. <laughs> to to but, the full climate of it. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't, but I, I wished I had been able to attend uh, Thursday's membership launch. So I want to ask you how many people signed up. We have a hundred so far and slowly trickling. They're slowly trickling in. Uh, one thing we definitely wanted to be cautious of is this idea that you had to join on that day. Obviously, just like with any other guild or union, you can join at any time and we're getting trickles constantly, trickles, people signing up, assistants, associates, movement coaches, choreographers, um, so much so that our small but mighty, mighty talented team is like really, it's it's manual labor. They are checking individual emails, putting names in spreadsheets, sending out approval emails, and we have a human being printing our membership cards. Like this is very, a, a very grassroots phase for a very official phase for choreographers, but it's going really well. The response, the questions asked, the the enthusiasm, and really here's what was a, a, a tell for me that this is the time. Like you talked about how important timing is. I know right now is the time because that night did not turn into an airing of grievances 
It did not turn into angry people trying to voice all the wrongs that have been done to them. It was a room full of people asking how, what can we do? How, how will this happen? Great idea. How about this? It was a very idea filled night. People were concerned. People got a lot of answers, but for a lot of the times that new people get involved in the conversation, it's very easy for it to, things to retrograde back to that place of being angry. And that is a valid place. But I think part of our timing right now, this this post-pandemic era, that is a gift for us is that during the pandemic, a lot of us started talking and getting all that out. So for all of 2020 and 2021, we were talking about what was wrong. And for all of 2022, we were planning how to write it. And now we have the support of membership to help us do that. And it's awesome. I'm yeah. stoked. Well, I could not be more thrilled and really, really cannot wait for the day where where there are minimums and there are all of these, these I guess I can't wait for a, the a day. A collective bargaining agreement. That's what I want. A collective bargaining agreement and that it's accepted by the AMPTP and that people have to be members and they have to... Producers have to abide by it and all that stuff because it is a fight on every single job to to try to do the best that we can for choreographers and it's an ongoing issue. Some people yeah. sometimes it's easy, yeah. Sometimes it's really hard, but it's always you're always in this position of educating people. It's a huge, it's one of our four pillars of interest is this education internally within our own community, but especially like you're mentioning, how do we educate the producers on how to work with choreographers on what we do, on what we need to do, what we do, on how much it costs to do it and how long it takes to do it. I mean, it's, it's, it is, it, I suppose that that is because not every production requires it. Not every production mm -hmm. needs dance, has dance. And so- and at the rate that there's turnover of shows, of contracts, of uh, production companies, which are like popping up all the time. I've never, not never, like rare, rare is it that I work with the same exact team twice. That's what I'm trying to say. And so there's always some education to be done on some, on some front. And wouldn't it be great if we could point to a master handbook, a PDF, a, a you know, a, and agreed upon by the community place where people can just see it on a page. And they would love it. The producers yeah. would love it. 90% yeah. of the time, people just, they don't know. I won't say 90% yeah. of the time. When you have that wonderful opportunity where you're working with experienced producers in the area of song and dance, you know, that's really great because they know what goes into it. They, if they they understand and you're not dealing with someone who already has a budget in place. Instead, mm -hmm. they're saying to you, what is the rate of your client? They're giving you an opportunity to actually negotiate a rate rather than saying, we only have, you right. know, we only have, which is pretty much the beginning of every conversation. And so there you go from there. Well, you only have, this is, so here we go. It goes on and on. It takes a long time. And, and wow. I'm not even complaining about it. 
Right. It's just, just the fact. But it's just this, a is, fact this is time. That when people budget, they don't come to you first. Right. They just, sometimes they budget and they'll go to like the last person who did a choreo. You know, sometimes they'll, sometimes they'll do their, their research. They'll this see. It's important though. It's important that they'll, they'll have done their research. So let's just say, first of all, if it's network television, right? Mm-hmm. It, which is really a good place to work. And, and and I find those people, for the most part, really great to deal with. Nice. They're experienced line producers most of the time, but they'll have already gone to another show, A, to find, ask them, do you know a choreographer? And like oftentimes networks will use the same choreographer. Mm-hmm. So there's some sort of, standard that's set, but it doesn't always work because maybe that person has worked for $750 a day. Exactly. When that is why this is a problem. $1,000 a day. Exactly. And so they'll go, yeah, but this is the rate I was told by NBC or whatever network. Mm-hmm. That, And I said, well, that's nice. <laughs> that's really, <laughs> that's, that's not how much this person costs. Uh-huh. And the project was probably different. What was being asked was different. There's so much ver- like variation on what that means, and then they right. dance. Sometimes it means one person has a personal groove in the mirror in a bathroom, you know, in a public bathroom. Sometimes it means the opening scene of In the Heights or La La Land. Right. Like those are different things. Different <laughs> and animals all together. So anyway, I, the, the, you know, the, the 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 point is is that I always feel like. We are starting out every conversation, not not everyone, because but many conversations with this is this is what the client requires. This is what mm-hmm. you this is what's going to make your scene work. And see, we know ah. all that, you know, like like I've even told people, look, this person is going to save you money. They're so efficient. And if yes. you give her give her what she needs for this scene, I promise you. And, and it's true. There, yes. are, there are these the experienced choreographers that know how to do it. Now, if you're talking about young people, somebody who just got a job, and it's a major job because, because someone said to someone else, gee, do you know anyone who can choreograph? And that person said, well, my neighbor's a dancer. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You're going to pay for that. So you're going to pay for that on the day. Pay for it in overtime. You'll pay for it in... You know, if, so, if this is hypothetically a SAG after job, you'll pay for it. And, oh, I didn't know about hazard pay. Oh, I didn't know about this, that. Oh, I didn't. And that's, yeah, experience an is. assistant? What do you mean? Valuable. Assistant. Right. Well, so I'm not talking about an assistant to get the person coffee. We're just. No, talking- no, no. <laughs> so, oh, Julie. So, you know, you know what it's like, Dana, because you're, uh, you're, you're working. So, you know. I'm in it. it. I'm doing it. All, constant education. And also. Yeah me learning from the way that teams like to operate. It is like, I heard somebody use this analogy of like a car manufacturing plant. Um, There's this big robot that puts all the pieces together, right? And that's the production, like the project is this big thing. But the wheels, maybe we'll say the wheels are the dance department. Just worked on this other project where the hubcap was a different shape. <laughs> and so we have to fit with the body of the car. Whoever puts the airbags in is a different group of people. And the airbags the airbags affect the doors or the adhesive that we use inside. And because everybody works differently and we so rarely all work together all the time, it's going to be constant education, constant communication, 
And that's really the biggest, like the thing that I've spent most time doing on the project I'm on right now is communicating, not dancing, not counting eight counts, not teaching eight counts, but talking to people. This education, it's not even a complaint. If at least right, you're right. given the opportunity, and if you have a receptive person on the other end, then you know that they're going to learn a lot. Like, for example, there is a project happening right now that one of our clients is doing. He's doing a pilot. And the producer called and she said, I don't know how to do this. I mean, that is so refreshing. Well, I said, humble. And after I said, well, what's it, you know, how many people, how many dancers? She said, oh, no, they're not dancers. They're 18 actors. I said, Act 18 actors. Okay, so the, the, no matter what, this person, whoever you hire, is going to need an assistant. You know what she said to me? I'm huh. just, I'm just learning that now, because obviously she had started to ask around, mm-hmm. and she said, "I'm just learning that now." I said, "Yeah, wow. that's like, that's like a must." And then you go to, well, we only have this much money, right. and then you start to work things out. Oh, and mm-hmm. then the assistant can. Can that person have one assistant in LA, and so we don't have to travel that person to Chicago? Can we right. or another? Assistant? Right. No. Right. Can we tr- transplant all of their knowledge from one brain to right. another, so, no. but not pay them for that? Uh, but we just like, oh wow. So then you get the deal memo back, and everything is on there except for the per diem for the assistant. So wow. you know, so the, Julie, it's constant. So I'm just trying to kind of tell people when people say to you, "What do agents do? They don't do anything." <laughs> Oh my goodness! It's, it's as know what it's like that, that, we, right. that we're not order takers. We don't just, just don't sit around. This is a constant area of a being proactive for our clients and b negotiating contracts to the best of our ability given the situation. Yeah, and being knowledgeable of the entire ecosystem of the cost of things. Exactly. Like you have to be dialed into that. Um, it's it's as frustrating, I imagine, as for a choreographer when people think that we make up steps. Then that's all we do. You know, that's so it's so oh, yeah. frustrating. Oh yeah, no, that's I always tell to people that is the last thing that they do. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> that's like oh, yeah. that's the last thing that they do. I mean, really, it's and yet and listen, I'm with you. I don't mean to. The, the, here we are doing the thing that I said we didn't do. We're not airing grievances. You and I aren't. No, we're having it's not. Our, it's not. It's not our nature. But it is like the thing that comes up most often. It feels like, man, we could go so far so fast if we didn't have to keep educating. But the truth is, the same in teaching dance. Any any time you teach something is an opportunity to learn it better yourself. So every time we tell a production about something that's going on, about how we prefer to do things, we get to learn, wait, how do I prefer to do things? I just learned that I need a ladder. I want there to be a ladder at all of my rehearsals because I want to be up high. I want to be able to show the director what this looks like from above. I want to, well, number one, I also want for all directors to know what Busby Berkeley actually means because, goodness, that comes up a lot. And they're like, we want to do that overhead thing where they're like laying in a circle. (laughs) It's hysterical. That has happened for me. Um, But I love having a bird's eye view. That's something that I've only now, you know, only just now really put down in writing along with my other requests for rehearsal space. So I love a a constant revisit of the needs and the requests. I think it's okay. But it does nag at at my heel a little bit that it feels like we could have gone so far if we weren't always having to catch people up on what we do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Right. 
But we're patient, though. I think I think if if I come back to this all the time at choreographers guild meetings, I've said this a thousand times. If dancers could do it, we one hundred percent can do it. One hundred percent. There's absolutely no reason not to. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's the day of being the only group of unrepresented creative people on a set that has to end. It's It's embarrassing. It's it's embarrassing. It has to end. You you know, every time I hear about, you know, casting directors organizing or this group or that group, I'm like, okay, just come on. And it's happening. We're doing it. We're doing it. Yeah. Super exciting because I really... I really do want to see this succeed more than anything, honestly. Yeah. Oh, that warms my heart. Thank you for your support. And I think you will. You, you you know better than anybody. It takes time. And I think we have a patient group. I think we have a persistent group. I think we have a very motivated and yes, actually a very angry group. Some of us are mad about the way things are going. And sometimes that's what it takes to really light the fire to get things moving. Um, but we have the help of Steve Sadawi, super organizer, who has done this, like knows what he is doing. He is the uh, formerly of SAG-AFTRA, but he's the go-to for a lot of people who are, you know, leadership of these bigger unions. People right. look to him and he's really, really blessed such a, an asset. On board. It's really, really lucky to have yeah. him on board and blessed. Honestly, you need somebody like that. Yes, I agree. Hi, in my discussion day with Maureen Grow, spent years and years and years putting together the Musical Supervisor Guild. Um, she said, what you guys need, you need publicity. Once this yes. is, and I think you need publicity in the trades. I know that there's been articles written. But, yes. And I, I don't know if the time is right, but when the time, and I don't think it's quite, you're quite ready for that. Mm-hmm. But have to get publicity in the trades. It, it, yes. Stories in the trades. You know, it's funny. You're shining a light on another thing that's interesting. Choreographers wear a lot of hats, right? We wind up being, you know, we weigh in on the wardrobe front. We weigh in on the music front. We are usually making our own class flyers. We do a lot of things. And I think that in particular, PR having a marketing person, having an actual PR agent is just one of those things that we are not prepared to do from, from within our membership. Like internally, we don't have a person. It's same with legal. Like, do we have an intellectual property lawyer among us? No, we do not. So we go out and find one. But now that we're open for membership, now that we have money coming in, those are the exact positions that we are looking to fill. Good. Really good. I, I, I think it's really important to get the right person. And I, maybe at some point we can have a discussion about that. Yes, and please. I'm also hoping that somehow someone is going to give you an office space. <gasps> yes. And that you can hire a part-time, full-time, a, a person in that office all the time. Yes, that yes, yes. know that you've really arrived. So I was talking to Maureen about this and Neil Portnoe from the Recording Academy gave the Music Guild usage of an office in his building. And so I'm thinking, we have to figure that out. Who? Oh, yes. Who, who am I going to start sending edible arrangements to? 
I love this idea to be gifted a space. I've been just thinking that was going to be a horrible something to do with a commercial agent, a commercial real estate agent. No, I I think that at some point, you know, you don't need much. You listen, you need a desk. We need a corner in the kids department somewhere. You do. You need a corner in the kids department. You don't need All right. What you need is a, a full-time person. Yes. Not even a part-time. You need a one full-time salaried employee and you get accomplished so much. Anyway, that's my- I love that. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much for that. Um, I do have have one more question that I want to hear because we've been looking a lot at, you know, the past until now and this present moment, the Choreographers Guild opening for membership. I would love to hear just your 30,000 foot view, your weather forecast for- what you think is to come for dancers and choreographers. Um, I know streaming is really changing things. We're, we are maybe looking at a, uh, a strike from the writers. What do you think is changing right now? What do you predict for like the next five years? Well, streaming changed everything. Mm-hmm. So this is... Do you think film is dead? Not at all. In fact, what's happened is is that film is is coming back in a big way. It's going to take a little time. I mean, when you know, you've heard this story how Tom Cruise saved movies from Top Gun Maverick. You know, I mean, even Steven Spielberg went up to Tom Cruise and said thank you because wow, he, because he insisted only on a theatrical opening, and mm. it just did you know, billion dollars yep. or something. Yes, yep, 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 yep. It worked. Up. So I really like, for example, on Saturday, uh, tomorrow night, I'm going to see Air in the movie theater. Yes, now, you I'm, are. I'm not the audience that, that that theaters need. It needs a, a young audience to go to the movies. I don't believe they're dead. I think that they're having a resurgence. You know, all of the streaming platforms are going through problems right now. They've let go of a lot of employees. They're downsizing. There's mm. way more competition than when just it was just Netflix, you know? There's right. so much competition now. And now that the studios have their, oh, Paramount Plus, uh, yeah. Disney Plus. Apple Plus. A lot, of, a lot of that plus. stuff that was on Netflix, they was all of that material, that content was taken back by those studio mm-hmm. streamers. Okay, so streaming is the biggest issue. This is the issue that the writers are fighting about right now, is that they are not, they do not feel fairly compensated for their work on the streamers. There's also another issue with them, which is something that we don't have to discuss because I don't really understand it. But streaming, people got so used to sitting on their couches. And I don't know if people are ever going to want to get off of them. So, but it seems to me that movies are are coming back. Not all movies. I think adult dramas have a hard time. But Mm -hmm. big movies. I'll tell you what's uh, having a problem right now are musicals. And that's unfortunate. And that's really unfortunate. Because when musicals don't do well, then new ones don't get greenlit. I know it. And it's just like that because they're so expensive to make. So when West Side Story mm. didn't do well, I saw it twice in the theaters. I do not like watching those big movies. And on, on, I'm a movie person, a theater person. Yes, big so, screen, big sound. I, Give it to me. like it. I love sitting in a movie theater, watching a movie yeah. and having my popcorn. I'm so happy. 
It's my yes. it's one of my happy places. So oh, you I love ask that. me if movies are dead, I'm going to say no, 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 no. But, but uh, streaming is, I think, the just you can't ever discount the power that it has of people being right. able to stay home in their homes and watch things on television. But I think there's going to be room for both. I'm predicting so. And we pray that this writer's strike does not happen because I was around in the last writer's strike and it was devastating toward bit to business. Yes. Yeah. I, I've heard that a lot of the, the season right now for film and TV is quite slow because people are nervous about starting anything. Yeah, I think they've stockpiled stockpiled content, you know, uh, they were stockpiling content so they can have some things, you know, in their pipelines to Uh go ahead and do. But you don't, you don't want strikes. Strikes are bad. Nope. Don't want it. Don't want it. No, and, 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 and which, you know, we, we want to avoid that with the actors too, but you never know what's going to happen. Correct. It would be so great to avoid it. Yeah. And it would be so great to have a community unified enough to go there if we needed to. Which is why it's incredibly important to educate the dancers as well about this because you know. That's a great point, Julie. How anxious the dancers are going to be to step in. That is a great point. We have to, that has to happen. Yeah. I, I am really interested in the ecosystem, the the shared ecosystem between choreographers and dancers. We, it's a dynamic relationship, isn't it? It's a very, we, neither one could be without the other. I think um, it's a symbiotic thing when done well. And I love to see it done well. When done um, well, when done well, Dana, because there's, there are those people who are really there to protect the dancers and make sure that they're doing yeah. right by them. Yes. There are other yes. choreographers who do not care. Yeah. And, they are only on the side of production, and this, and you know, you've heard, you've heard, you've heard various, mm-hmm. yes, and yeah, and they're afraid of their jobs, right. so it's hard for them to step up, and they shouldn't yeah. really have to step up. It should really be the be be the job of the dance captains or the, and the their union to step in, mm-hmm. but oftentimes people are just, in general, afraid to speak up. And, you know, most people are. They're always those vocal ones. And we know that now, like, you're one of those people that makes people do the right things. And so does well, your, I love, so does your I'm, I'm, sister. Uh, my, my sisters, my seaweed sisters, I think all three of us are loving finding our voice as leaders. You know, we it, it's, a, it's a thing. When you've got people like Marguerite Derricks, Marty Kadelka, Mandy Moore in, in the tier above us, like, those were our teachers and leaders. And they're not, you know, they're not going anywhere. They're still in their prime. So it it is kind of nice to find, like myself, my generation, finding our voices as leaders without there necessarily being this huge passing of the torch in this transition moment. Like I do, I, I, I would love to study how like the waves of work and the most working people, because I think, you know, kind of like parents children wind up being strong at what the parents were weak at. I think what we're finding in my generation of people is a huge amount of advocacy and a huge amount of like making changes because the people who brought us up had to do it under kind of iron fist, like didn't have a voice, didn't have a whole lot of option, had to get the job done, did it for pennies and 
and now we have the responsibility to make a big change. Um, and so, yeah, I'm proud to be my generation of change. Well, I think it's wonderful. And I, it does, it extends way, way beyond our world of dance. If you look and see what's going on politically, what yeah. happened yesterday, and we don't have to talk about it. It's, it's the young people that are going to have to make the changes. They, and you, you know, change is difficult. You have to advocate. It's not given to you. It's not given to you. Why don't choreographers have a union? Because nobody gave us one, and we and we and we didn't make it. <laughs> and and I always say, well, the choreographers have to do it, just the way the yeah. actors had to do it. Nobody gave that to them. Right. Nobody gave it to the Teamsters. Totally. Nobody, nobody gave it to the costum costumers. Nobody gave it to anybody. So you, you have to fight for what it is you want. It uh, never ends. It never ends. It never ends. <laughs> well, we've got, I think we dance types, so we've got great stamina. We know how to make corrections. We know how to be strategic. We know how to find balance. And we know how to definitely know how to be persuasive. So I am very much looking forward to negotiating a collective bargaining agreement. I'm looking forward to hearing more from our community, our new membership. It's going to be great to actually all be heard and to have one voice. I am stoked. Um, so thank you for laying the path in all of the many ways that you have for us to land at this moment. Um, your work has been essential and I'm just so grateful to know you, let alone be talking to you one-on-one -on -one like this. It's so much fun for me. Oh, thank you, Dana. That's really nice. And I, 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 I know that myself, along with the other agents, hope to be part of the formulation of whatever your MBA is, because we are in the trenches every day. So we do hope that we're brought yeah. in to at least give our assessment and, um, mm. and opinions of what we feel is a good strategy and a good way to proceed. Thank you for that. Stronger together. More brains, more better. Stronger together. Great, great uh, byline. Great, yes. great logo. Great saying. We'll keep it and we'll let it be our sign off for today. Okay. Well, it was wonderful conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank really, you, Julie. Appreciate you. Thank you, Dana. I appreciate you so much. You're really a remarkable person. It's just a pleasure to get to know you. Really. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, man. You're wonderful. I'll see you soon. Okay. Take care. Okay. Bye. 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 All right, my friend. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I do. I really cherish Julie's leadership, her fearlessness, her uh, willingness to share. Definitely big takeaway for me is that you, I, we, all of us, must fight for what we want. No one will straight up give it to you. No one will just knock on the door and hand you the thing that you want, unless that is the Amazon delivery guy and you have ordered and paid for it. In our creative space, when we're talking about creating change, we must create it. If it doesn't exist, make it. That is my biggest takeaway. That is my wish for you today. Along with that wish, uh, I also hope that you are digging the podcast. If you are, please leave a review and a rating. It helps other people find the podcast. It helps the magical wizards of the algorithm get the podcast out to more people. Um, and that really is what I'm about, my friend. Uh, 
So with that, I will bid you adieu, go out into the world, keep it exceptionally funky, and I will talk to you soon. This podcast was produced by me with the help of many. Music by Max Winnie, logo and brand design by Bree Reitz, and big thanks to Riley Higgins, our executive assistant and editor. Also, massive thanks to you, the mover who is no stranger to taking action. So go take action. I will not, cannot stop you from downloading episodes or leaving a review and a rating. I will not ban you from my online store for spending your hard-earned money on the cool merch and awesome programs that await you there. I will 100% not stop you from visiting wordsthatmoveme.com if you want to talk with me, work with me, and make moves with the rest of the Words That Move Me community. Oh, and also, I will not stop you from visiting thedanawilson.com if you're curious about all the things that I do that are not Words That Move Me related. (laughs) All right, my friend, keep it funky. I'll talk to you soon.